0: Well, hello everyone, uh, joining us online. Um, so it's four o'clock in the afternoon here on Sunday. Um, we had a a problem with our recording uh, of the service this morning. Um, and so we decided that it would be best if I could, as we start this new series that we're on, because everything kind of comes from this. Uh, so I'm going to do my best to kind of recreate it, uh, I always find it difficult uh, a second time preaching because it, it blends together and you're not sure which you've already said and which you haven't. So I'm going to do my best here. But this that we're starting uh, today or that we started already today is going to be a seven-week series uh, through some very important theological uh, issues that we have. Um, as we were studying through First John, it became uh, apparent to me where we were going to go next. In 1 John, we read a lot uh, about John warning the church, saying, don't depart from the gospel. Don't don't twist the gospel. Don't let anyone else uh, change it or shift it away from from what you have heard and what you know to be true. Don't be convinced uh, of some kind of alternate gospel out there. And of course, there's a group in that church called the Cessationists that had twisted things. And they were saying that they were the only ones that were going to uh, be in heaven. They were the only ones that understood everything correctly. And and John was saying, no, don't listen to them. Stay rooted in what's true. And so that started to bring this idea through in my head of of what are the core essential things that we want to address uh, as a church? Uh, What do we believe that we hold tightly in our hands, that we're not willing to compromise on. Uh, I would say a a big chunk of of other areas of theology we can agree to disagree on. Uh, They're not central uh, issues, Uh, but there are some things that we believe that are. And so I wanted to do a series through that. So these seven issues actually come from uh, the Associated Gospel Churches of Canada. Uh, So that's the grouping of churches that we are a part of here in Canada. And these are the seven kind of core distinctives we call them. These are the seven things that we hold to as churches across Canada. We are united on these things. And then there'll be some differences of opinion in lots of other areas between the churches and the pastors. uh, But these are the essential things that we think need to be taught. So uh, perhaps you've found yourself kind of thinking why be so dogmatic? Why have such tight, rigid theological convictions? Um, isn't it all just only about Jesus? And as long as you believe in Jesus, that's enough. And, and so that's a good question. And we're going to deal with that here. But let me just read to you a quote from J.C. Ryle. He was an Anglican bishop uh, in England back in the 1800s. And he wrote this. A religion without doctrine or dogma is a thing which many are fond of talking of in this present day. It sounds very fine at first. It looks very pretty at a distance. But the moment we sit down to examine and consider it, we shall find it a simple impossibility. We might as well talk of a body without bones and sinews. Yes, Jesus is the absolute center of the gospel and and the center of everything. Uh, That is essential. In fact, that's the most important thing. But that's not the only important thing. That's the beginning of the journey. But there are other things that are very important that we need to decide where we stand on. Uh, And there's a couple of reasons for this. is is one, uh, when you become a Christian, when you decide that you're going to follow Jesus and you're going to make him Lord and Savior of your life, you don't immediately just have perfect theology. In fact, probably nobody has perfect theology outside of God. Uh, But you don't just all of a sudden come to conclusion on all of these uh, theological issues. It takes study and time and maturity for a proper and good healthy understanding of God. So let me ask a question inside of this question then is is can we be or can someone be a Christian and have horrible theology? Yeah, I think that's true. You can because uh, if you become a Christian, And you're only a Christian for a very short time before you pass on, uh, you pass away and and you go to the judgment is you may have had horrible theology on all kinds of things because you hadn't had time to formulate it. Uh, You hadn't had time to read scripture and study and, and yet you would be a Christian because you submitted to the Lordship of Christ. However, once we become a Christian, I think that responsibility to mature is in our hands. We have the scriptures in front of us. We have a way to study and understand who God is. And I think we have that responsibility to do that. Because uh, a, lot of, a lot of people uh, twist scripture to making it say what it doesn't say. Um, they, they tack Jesus' name on it, making it sound like it's a really good thing. Uh, but actually it has nothing to do with Jesus so often. And so we wanna have a, a, a proper and a holistic and a healthy understanding of what things are vitally important in our Christian faith. So this is why we start here um, this morning. This study is on the scriptures as a whole. Uh, it might seem like an interesting place for you, for, uh, for us to start. You may think or, or expect that we're gonna talk about God and Jesus specifically first. Uh, And while that is the center of everything, that is the message of the gospel, is scripture we're actually going to study first and comes first in the AGC's uh, doctrinal statement um, because everything we learn about Jesus is found in the scriptures and the scriptures are our sole source of authority. And I'm going to explain that here in a few minutes. Um, But so this is very intentional that we're starting here. So let me read to you the statement on the AGC's website, and then I'll unpack it a little bit, and then I'm going to deal with four specific issues uh, quite briefly, and I'll explain that in a minute. So here's the statement. It says this, the Bible, both Old and New Testaments, is the complete word of God. As originally given, it is verbally inspired, without error, and entirely trustworthy. The Bible constitutes supreme authority in all matters of faith, teaching, and behavior. The Bible has Jesus Christ as its focus and its fulfillment. And so interestingly enough, you have that right there. actually Jesus is the centerpiece of everything, even in this aspect of our theology about the Bible. But a healthy understanding of the Bible will shape a healthy understanding of Jesus. And so we're going to deal with this. Now, if I was going to spend uh, a sermon series on several aspects of understanding scripture correctly. We we could do that for weeks. There are lots of uh, interesting studies to be had uh, and just exhaustive information on that. My point this morning is not to exhaustively cover things. We're going to deal with four things very briefly. Uh, I'll talk about them in just a minute. But I just want you to understand that, that if you want to dig deeper into any of these issues that we bring up today, there is Oh, there's just so much information out uh, about those issues. And I'm going to give you two resources for you to use to dig deeper in this. And it's good and important to dig deeper. Um, My purpose is to go through these seven things equally and to show that this is the starting point of that. So right at the beginning of the statement, we read this, both Old and New Testaments are the complete word of God. That might seem like a strange or unnecessary uh, statement to make. But what's happening in modern evangelicalism in the last number of years here uh, seems to be this, this very arrogant approach of only in this last few years have we really understood everything that uh, the correct way. But our church, our founding fathers and church history, all those things, they were on a, on a journey to find a healthy theology. But only in these times have we f- found it. And uh, and that's a very dangerous and arrogant position to get in. It's no different than Adam and Eve in the garden sitting in the first place, their own arrogance being the problem. Uh, The Word of God, uh, specifically the Old Testament in today's world, today's Christian kind of culture, is under attack because they say it might be uh, irrelevant or, or it's actually only figurative or it's not even actually that trustworthy. But the problem, of course, is, is the whole of the Old Testament exists to point us and show us who the Messiah is. And so when Jesus comes and reveals himself as the Messiah, the proof of all of that is what's all written before he came in the Old Testament. And so if we throw out the Old Testament, we throw out all the proof, all the explanation that Jesus is who Jesus claimed he was. So we we can't throw that out. Uh, So we in the AGC, we believe the Old Testament and the New Testament are both, uh, well, a couple of things, and I'll explain those in a minute, but we believe that is all of scripture and that it is, uh, it is the complete word of God. So you can't have one without the other, but both are the complete. Then it says this in the statement again, as originally given, it is verbally inspired without error and entirely trustworthy. So, uh... Really quickly, what this means uh, is that as it was originally given, so the Old Testament in Hebrew and the New Testament in Greek, uh, that's an important distinction to make. And I'm going to talk about languages for a few minutes in just a second. But uh, that was the way it was originally given to us. And then there's this interesting dichotomy here of, of it's written by people, and yet it's written by God. Uh, just the other day at our supper devotions, we were talking about this with Smonga, is this is what makes the Bible more important than any other literature ever. Because it's not man's ideas, it's God's. And yes, man wrote it, but man wrote it under the inspiration of God who is giving them the words to say. And so when we say it is verbally inspired, that's what we mean. It was written by men, but through the inspiration of God. It is without error so we're going to talk about that in a minute. That's inerrancy. We're going to, that's one of the four things we're going to touch on. In other words, God has given it to us the way in which he intended, and it's entirely trustworthy. The last bit, the Bible constitutes supreme authority in all matters of faith, teaching, and behavior. The Bible is all that we need. The Bible is everything that we need to understand God, to understand who Jesus was, to understand what salvation means, all of those things. And the reason that is important in our statement is because we find ourselves now in a, in a Christian culture where some denominations are talking about having uh, modern-day apostles. And, and sometimes it's just an issue of kind of vernacular uh, of how it's written or how it's uh, talked about. But sometimes in some of these denominations, they're stating that these people have the same apostolic authority that they speak on behalf of God. And I think, and the AGC thinks, that's a very, very dangerous Position to take. We think that Scripture is entirely perfect. It's revealed to us and that we have everything that we need in it. God's Word is complete to us. Uh, And again, I'll explain that in a few minutes as we go as well here. So, what are the four issues that I want to touch on briefly? Well, first, I want to deal with the authenticity of the Word of God. Then, we're going to deal with the sufficiency of the Word of God. Then, the inerrancy and then the authority. So let's start with the authenticity, because uh, what is the Bible? How do we know the Bible is authentic? So as I was studying kind of this section of it, I came across something from Tim Mackey of the Bible Project, and he kind of reminded me of this. It's sometimes easy to forget. If For those of us like myself who have grown up in the church, who have been a Christian for most of our lives, uh, this idea that We follow our lives based on this ancient set of writings in this book that we call the Bible in front of us and that it has total authority over our lives. Uh, Like that's not a new thing to me. That's a normal everyday thing because that's the tradition that I've grown up in. But what Tim Mackey suggested, uh, he came to faith later on uh, in life or at least a a relationship with Jesus later on. And, And those who have come to faith later on in life uh, that's a weird thing, the idea of this ancient writings that we just immediately submit our lives to. Uh, in fact, a lot of people who come to faith, they, they recognize their need for Jesus. They recognize that he's the only way f- to salvation, but they still approach the Bible with some skepticism, doubts, and, and maybe even a, a pretty significant distrust to it. And so I think those of us who have been raised in the church, it's good for us to recognize that, to realize, oh, uh, This is an unusual thing. It's maybe normal for us, but it actually is a very unusual thing. And so we need to approach the Bible with that. So these four things are all going to kind of intertwine, but we're going to try and deal with the authenticity here um, specifically for a minute. So what is the Bible? Well, as we open up the scriptures, as we start to read the Bible from Genesis through the Old Testament, there's, there's a few things to note here. Uh, It's the history of mankind that God has given to us so that we would know who he is and we would get to see what he's doing and what his purposes are. I find it actually really interesting that Genesis 1 starts with creation, but oddly, very little of the Bible actually talks about the creation of the world. And I think that's actually intentional, uh, but that's another uh, sermon for another time rather the focus of the old testament specifically is this history of the people that god creates the relationship that he longs to have with them and how he wants to restore that relationship to the way in which he intended right adam and eve in the garden sinned sin came into the world Uh, death came into the world all these things that weren't the uh intention right god's Desire for us was that we would walk in communion with Him and that we would be uh, perfect, not that we would sin, all these things. We're going to get into those in the coming weeks because those aspects of theology come into that. But that's kind of the Old Testament. It's this history of God's desire to be in relationship with us His grace, His patience with us, and then ultimately His plan unfolding of how He's going to deal with sin through the person of Jesus Christ. And so then the New Testament comes on the scene. Jesus shows up, he proves himself to be the Messiah, and then we have um, kind of the rest of that New Testament, what it means to be a Christian, uh, how God wants us to live, what God's purposes are for our lives as we move forward. So that's uh, that's the overview of it. But again, so why, why should we trust the Bible? Why is it authentic? There are many other belief systems out there, some of them based on ancient writings is what makes Christianity different? Well, the first verse that I want to read to you, actually is two verses, uh, they're familiar, and it might seem strange why I'm using this, but I'm going to explain this. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says this, All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. So that's what Paul writes to us in 2 Timothy all scriptures breathed out by God. So we believe it's the word of God. We believe it's authentic because the Bible tells us that it is. Now, right away, that may bring up some red flags and you may be thinking, how can you use the Bible to prove the Bible? That that doesn't work, that doesn't make sense. And, and I can kind of sympathize with that question because for the most part, you're right. How do you use something to prove something? But it depends how you understand what the Bible is. Is if you think of the Bible in this uh, idea of it's one complete work that just fell from the sky one day, landed at our feet, we then open it. Then this would be a much bigger problem for the Bible to claim that it has, uh, that it's authentic based on its own claims about itself. But actually what the Bible is, is the Bible is 66 different books written by 44 different authors over about 1,500 years of human history. And so when Paul is writing to Timothy and and to us in 2 Timothy, saying that all scriptures God-breathed, his point is not that what he is currently writing in that moment is inerrant, is perfect, is from God, is authentic. uh, As much as what his point is, is that all of this, this teachings of Scripture So in his view, that probably meant specifically the Old Testament and probably the Gospels. But but history kind of to that point, that this is breathed out by God. That it's authentic because of the history of what God has done and the proof in what has happened over that. He's he's not simply just making the statement that what I'm about to tell you is 100% true. It's 100% from God. You can trust it uh I think sometimes when people speak that way, immediately we get a little more skeptical. Uh, this is you know why John Piper, as an example, often says that uh, most of whom he quotes uh, are dead people, dead theologians because he says kind of history uh, history proves what side they were on, right? what they believed and what they taught and, and their life when it's over, either speaks to that or, or shows that they didn't believe it. Uh, and so in the same way, history here has a way of proving this. Just, just Jesus himself fulfilled over 300 prophecies uh, of the Old Testament. So there's a man named Peter Stoner, and he wrote a, a classic book. It's called Science Speaks. And he calculated the chance of any one man fulfilling these prophecies down to, even to this present time, right? So all the way, even though Jesus lived almost 2,000 years ago, right? Um, and he calculated this, and it would be one... Actually, let me say it this way: the ten to the seventeenth power. So I had to ask some, I'm going to double check this, but it's 100 quadrillion, one hundred quadrillion—one in one hundred quadrillion, right? So effectively, impossible, impossible for one person to fulfill all these things. And yet Jesus did these things, and so. You maybe want to say that you can't prove the book by using the book, but because the book is actually history and shows all these things, all these prophecies from you know hundreds and thousands of years ago that slowly start aligning and coming true, that the proof is in the pudding. And the proof is that all of these things do come to pass. And so the Bible is authentic because it's true. Another thing uh, that... That proves this is something uh, it's a science called textual criticism and I don't want to spend any time here other than to tell you to go to josh mcdowell's website which is josh.org and you can read up, up about this and see that the bible is actually the most uh reliable document uh ancient writing that exists in the world and it's not even close the amount of uh scrutiny that the Bible has been under and yet has risen above and come out as true is, is amazing. So, but I'll let you go to that website and look up at textual criticism. Very, very interesting stuff. The last thing I want to deal with is the language issue real quick to show that it's authentic because some people will say, well, well, how do you trust any translations now a translation is just a translation of a translation of a translation and like the like the game you play when you're a kid telephone right where you whisper something into someone's ear and they whisper into someone else's ear and it goes around a big circle by the time it gets back to the beginning it has nothing to do with what it originally started as and, and that is true but the problem is that that's not the way translations of the Bible work um, all English translations okay let me let me rephrase this all reliable English translations. So if I just sat down today and I just wrote a translation of the Bible, it's not got any authority to it, it's got nobody trusts it, nobody believes it, it doesn't have any weight to it. But all you know, peer or scholar-reviewed translations, so like the NIV or the NLT or the ESV or the NASB, these main main translations, all of them. Are translated from the same source, so that's called the Leningar- or, Sorry, the Leningrad Codex, uh, which is the the last or the or the earliest. Pardon me, uh, entire original language of Scripture. So the entire Bible from the beginning to the end in the original language is put together. So that was done in one thousand and eight. AD. And there are earlier manuscripts of various books and sections of scripture, but this is the earliest complete works. And all translations come from that Leningrad Codex. So again, it's not just that someone is just translating off of other translations and it's lost all its meaning. That's just simply not true. In fact, this is why Eugene Peterson's The Message which uh, is a paraphrase of the Bible came under scrutiny with a lot of, a lot of people. Now to be fair to Eugene is he wrote it uh, as a paraphrase. He never claimed that it was a translation. He was taking uh, the Bible and specifically the translation that he used and, and rewording it into kind of more modern day language in a way that he thought was just helpful for people. Uh, he was very careful not to call it a translation. Um, and so can the message be helpful? Yes, I think it can. However, it's Eugene Peterson's interpretation of all of those things and then paraphrasing it according to what he thinks. And so if that's your sole source for how you read the Bible, that's a very big problem. You need to read it the way in which it was intended. Now, obviously, that if in a perfect world, that would mean me and you would learn Hebrew and Greek and that's just the language we would read it and study in it. Um, That's simply a difficult, a very difficult thing actually. Those are complex languages for us to learn. Um, But all the English translations, the main ones, right, that we've talked about, those come from the same source and so they're reliable. We can uh, trust it. So as long as you have a good, uh, you know, typical translation, that's good, and it's worth you know doing some homework and seeing which translation you prefer. Uh, there are pros and cons to the various ones. I've settled on the ESV uh, over the last about about ten years now, uh, and and I like it. But there are times where I go to the NIV or the NASB or the NLT uh, because there's strengths to all of those translations. Okay, enough of there. So so the authenticity of the Bible is it's just it's overwhelming. Uh, And and I encourage you to dig deeper into this. And I'll give you a couple of resources at the end that really help with this. The next thing I want to deal with uh, is the inerrancy. Now, this morning, I failed to describe this well. uh, At least uh, somebody mentioned that that they didn't think I had. I have so many notes here. It's very possible. So let me say it this way. Uh, The inerrancy means that the Bible is without error. There are no mistakes in it, which we've kind of just touched on a little bit with the Leningrad Codex. But again, I said some of these things will intertwine a little bit. So um, how do we know that it is without error? Well, this is one of those things that if we believe that it's inspired of God, that the Bible is written by people, but under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit who wrote it, then God didn't make any mistakes. That the way it was verbally given by the Holy Spirit or the way that it was, the, the writers were inspired by the Holy Spirit and wrote it down. That that is the way that God intended it. That there are no mistakes in it. So Matthew Barrett writes this. If God is Scripture's author, then we should not divorce the character of the divine author. Uh, pardon me, let me read that again. If God is Scripture's author, we should not divorce the character of the divine author from the character of his divine speech. Right? So just saying again, if God wrote it, then it is correct. It is the way in which God intended it. Uh, Peter writes to us in 2 Peter 1.21, For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Is The New Testament bears witness in several places that all of these things were not men. They were not from men, but they were from God. Yes, men spoke them or wrote them down, but they came from God. And speaking on behalf of God, especially in the Old Testament, was a very serious thing. There's a scripture passage, I believe it's in Deuteronomy, that talks about how if somebody prophesies something that was not right, not from God and doesn't come to pass, that they're actually going to be stoned to death. Like, that's how serious it was to speak for God. So I think we ought to be very careful in today's world. I'm very I hope anyway, very bold when I open the scriptures and proclaim what God has said, because I know that to be true. But we ought to be very careful about claiming to speak on behalf of God when he hasn't written it to us in scripture. So um, I think that's where we'll stop for for uh, the inerrancy of scripture. It's just, it's, we believe it is written by God. Yes, he used men to do that, but that this was God's plan and that he uh, gave those words, as 2 Peter 1.21 says. The third thing I want to deal with is, is that scripture is sufficient, right? So the sufficiency of scripture. In other words, everything that we need is found in scripture. Now, again, this goes back to that I, first John, where we were studying through this, is the cessationists, the people that had kind of left the gospel and twisted it, they believed that there was a new divine revelation that came to them. And that's why they understood salvation. That's how they got to go to heaven. Uh, And we, of course, think that is wrong. We think it's very wrong. We think scripture and scripture alone teaches us what we need to know. So again, Peter says in 2 Peter 1 verse 3, this time he says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence is that everything that we need is found within scripture for how to understand what godliness is and how to live and what knowledge we need. All of that is found in scripture. So back in the Protestant Reformation, this term sola scriptura came out. And there was a, right, there were five solas, which sola is uh, Latin for only, right? Um, but anyway, uh, Martin Luther um, and, and others gathered together because what was happening in that culture was that the Pope was on par with at best or at worst, he actually superseded what Scripture taught. So he got to determine how to interpret things, and everyone was under his authority of that. And and the Protestant Reformation, these uh, these men, kind of Luther's kind of the well-known one, but there's there's many others that were very influential in that process. They fought for this to be understood that no, the Pope is not above Scripture. He does not get to be the one that determines it, but actually Scripture itself is sufficient. Um, that. God intended us to read and understand what scriptures, he hasn't coded it in some kind of a way for us that we can't understand without, you know, the Pope's helper or in today's world uh, by some super apostle that comes and and shows us what God actually meant. No, we believe that God meant what he meant and he wrote it for us and it's understandable and everything that we need is found in scripture so uh, so that we know how to live and what to do. Now, lastly, the authority that we read of the Bible. So because we believe all these other three things are true, really that gives scripture uh, authority in our lives. So Jesus in Matthew 28, 18, 20, he says this, Jesus said, uh, "Jesus came and said, to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. right, so Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Jesus is our sole source uh, of authority. But what's interesting is Jesus talks about the Old Testament over and over and over and reinforces it and shows the laws and the reason why they were written. And in fact, his first public teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, people were were twisting the Old Covenant uh, and the, the, excuse me, and the uh, laws and commands in scripture. They were twisting it uh, to say things they weren't intending to say. And Jesus says, no, 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 Here's, here's what this is, right? So he would say, you've heard it said. But I tell you this, and he wasn't changing the Old Testament, He's actually showing what it was supposed to mean to us. He was dealing with our own motivation, and that it's not just about our actions, but about our heart and our actions. Uh, and so very, very important. Um, in fact, Jesus says in Matthew five seventeen during the Sermon on the Mount, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So the divine author of the scriptures is saying that the Old Testament scriptures are, in fact, about him. So because Jesus comes and fulfills all these prophecies about him, it shows that Jesus is the point of scripture and that Jesus' words, uh, sorry, this fulfills that Jesus' words have authority to us. This is where that authority comes from. Now, some people will try and argue, okay, Jesus' words I can deal with. Is have authority. But the Old Testament, it doesn't. Or things spoken by Paul, they don't. But the problem is that, that that's not consistent in interpreting what Jesus is saying. Because Jesus says, right? So he says, all authority has been given unto me, so go and uh, make disciples and baptize them in the name of the Father and Son and the Spirit. And then it says this, teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. And a lot of what Jesus commanded is, are things that were in the Old Testament that he was making uh, known to them. and and Again, I think they they were known, but people had twisted them and were making them say things they didn't, and Jesus was showing them. No, here's what the Old Testament means. It's pointing, Jesus says, it's points towards me, and I'm the fulfillment of that. And so it has authority. All of Scripture has authority. And I don't want to get into this here because you can just go back online. Uh, Nick Cotter, uh, who used to be part of our church, he lives in Calgary now, he came and, and preached on kind of how our Bible came into being, how everything that's written in it is there and, and just the whole process that, that unfolded. And he did an excellent job in that. And so I don't want to rehash all of that. If you would like to learn uh, more about that, by all means, just go back on our, on our website and, uh, and just look for, for his sermon. I believe that was in January So the scriptures are authentic, the scriptures are inerrant, the scriptures are sufficient, and the scriptures have authority over our lives. Jesus, yes, he's the center. He's the center of salvation, he is what the scriptures point to, but the scriptures are what bear witness about him. And so the the proof of everything lies in the fact that we have all of these things written down for history so that we can see them, so that we can understand them. And so even though maybe some people didn't understand as they were walking through those moments, we have that hindsight. We can look back and we can see it plain as day, clearly that the scriptures are true, that we can rely on them because that which it has said has happened, has come true. God is entirely trustworthy. Now I know I've missed a few things that I said from this morning's uh, service, and and I hope that uh, I hope that this still has been clear and helpful uh, for you. But if you want to dive into any of these things, um, these four issues that I've dealt with, or there's a few others actually. Uh, that could be talked about as well. Here's two really good resources for you. One is a, a book called "Taking God at His Word," uh, written by Kevin DeYoung. So again, that's "Taking God at His Word," written by Kevin DeYoung. Uh, it's a shorter book, but it deals with um, with these issues that I've discussed in one more uh, in a far more deep and uh, thorough way that you can really, really uh, get deep into this, and they'll be very helpful for you. The other uh, one is called 40 Questions About Interpreting the Bible by Robert Plummer. So again, that's 40 Questions About Interpreting the Bible by Robert Plummer. These will be excellent resources for you to dig deep into these areas and to go, can I trust what the Bible says? Obviously, the short answer of all that is yes, we believe that to be true. And this is why we start here. In the coming weeks, we will talk about God. Uh, We'll talk about the Godhead, right? God, the... Father, Son, and Spirit. We'll talk about the fall of man. Uh, we'll talk about the church and our role. We'll talk about some very important things. But all of those come under what we read in Scripture, not based on what I think, not based on what some other teacher has said, but based on what the Bible says. Yes, we do have to interpret some of these things, and so we should pray for wisdom to understand what God is writing to us. Uh, And really fight this urge to make the Bible say what I want it to say. That's a very dangerous urge. uh, And we probably all have done that and are guilty of that from time to time. But we need to listen to what God wants to say. So that's why that we as a church, Banff Park church, we hold fast to what scripture teaches. Uh, And I said this this morning, is this is a very unusual sermon for me. And that usually I preach more expositionally. We just go through a book of the Bible together. Because... Uh, that's what I believe the most effective and helpful way for us to learn about what scripture teaches us rather than just bouncing around from topic to topic to topic. It's it can be very easy to make the Bible say uh, wh- whatever we're excited about in that moment or whatever uh, even specific doctrine that we get excited about. Um, but in these seven weeks, we are going to deal with some of these topical things to show that these are all from scripture. And then as soon as we're done this series, we're going to jump back into studying another book of the Bible because that's just uh, what we're committed to doing. We believe the Bible to be the sole authority of everything. Um, And I I hope that that has been helpful and encouraging to you. Uh, Let me just pray as we close here and then I'll upload this for you and and I hope it has been uh, a helpful thing for you. So let me pray. God, thank you uh, for this morning's service. And God, nothing kind of catches you off guard. And so obviously you knew about this recording issue that was going to have. And, and so I pray that somehow through this conversation that we've had now in the afternoon, um, that somehow that is exactly what is needed for those who need to hear it at this time. And so God, thank you. Uh, for overseeing thank you for the word for for the bible that you have given to us that it is your word written to us that it's entirely trustworthy and that you have revealed yourself in the Scriptures so that we would know who you are and know what we need to believe and why we need to believe it so god i just pray for each one who is listening at home uh, would they study hard would they study diligently would they really dig deep into what the bible says so that we would know who you are. God, we love you. We thank you for all that you're doing in our lives right now. Go with us. Amen.